Uh, Matthew chapter 5, we're jumping back into our series called The Good News Kingdom, where we are walking through the Gospel of Matthew because what we want to do is identify who is the Jesus that we follow. Yes, we would say that Jesus is the answer, Jesus is better, Jesus is the solution to every problem, right church? But I would say this, which Jesus are you believing in? One, yes. And that's what we're trying to do, is we're trying to connect more and more our understanding, our hearts, to the true image of God Himself and the person of Jesus by walking through the book of Matthew. And, and so we started going through chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. We took a little break, and now we're going to try to do this <clears throat> next section, 5, 6, and 7, on the Sermon on the Mount. And as we get started in Matthew chapter 5, I want to introduce our sermon by saying this way. How many of you are just tired of fighting sin? How many of you are tired of sin robbing you of freedom? How many of you are tired of sin continuing having its shame and its guilt being pressed down into us? How many of us allow us uh, sin to continue to uh, allow us to be disillusioned about what life is really all about? And sometimes the most frustrating thing about all of this in my mind, okay, this is, I'm your pastor, it's probably not going to come out very well, but in all of that, what's so frustrating is God could just flip a switch and be all done, right? Doesn't God have the power just to break that chain of sin in your life? Like He could just flip the switch and be done. And, and what's amazing is He does do that for certain people. But that's not generally the pattern that God actually uses to take children of Adam and turn them into children of Jesus, children of God, the brothers and sisters of Jesus. And why? Why is it this slow, gradual, monotonous process where you've come five years in your Christian walk and you think you've actually come nowhere? You ever been there? And you don't see growth, you don't see change, you don't see sanctification, if we will, the, the holiness, the, the gospel really taking root. One, this is why you need community, for people to actually pinpoint that. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, when you see other people growing, you should point that out. That is an act of grace. And you need to point that out to other people because we don't see it. And I want you to know that in that five-year process, the Spirit is moving. He is changing you. He is conforming you to the image of Jesus. He is not letting go of you. And the beautiful thing about all of this is that in that slow, we would call it monotonous process, there is in all of you a growing dependence upon Jesus. That is the beauty of the slow transformation of the Christian into the image of Jesus, is that it is causing you at all times to continue to learn, lean into, and depend upon Jesus more and more. And as we begin the Sermon on the Mount this morning, and we look at the Beatitudes, I want us to look at this understanding that dependence upon God through Jesus, by His Spirit, is where the blessed life actually 
comes to us. So, Father, help us as we jump into this remarkable passage, this remarkable teaching from Jesus Himself. In spirit, we need You to help us understand not just with our minds, but with our whole body, with all that we are, with our heart, our mind, our emotions, our will. We need You to press deep into us. And so we ask for Your help. We ask that in faith, Your Spirit will do that work that You promised He would do in us. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I jump into Matthew 5, 1-4 this morning, what I want to do is just jump back and actually give a big picture of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And if you are familiar at all with Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we call this the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus more than likely was trying to withdraw from some crowds and just teach his disciples. And so he went up onto the mount. We don't know exactly what mount that is, but it's probably somewhere in Jerusalem outside the temple walls. And he is sitting up on a hill with his disciples trying to teach them. And as he's doing this, all of these people come around. So a very different world than we live in today. That'd be like me walking up to the train tracks, because that's the only hill we got in Hampton Roads, and you sitting down there and listening to me talk, right? Like, in doing this on a daily basis. And so Jesus has this opportunity to teach his disciples, and all of these people are coming around, and he gives a very long sermon about a million different topics. It encourages all pastors that your sermon can be short and about a million different topics. But it's very discouraging because he is short to the point and so much more accurate about life than we are, obviously. And so Jesus is speaking about all these different topics and how should we, just as a big picture, look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7? And there's a couple different ways uh, that different people look at this and I'm going to give you those and I'm going to give you the best way. The, the only, I'm kidding. Um, but one way is a certain group of people within the history of the church have understood this section to be a, we call it like a law and gospel dichotomy, this distinction between what God commands and God's gospel, God's grace. And so why did Jesus give the Sermon on the Mount? Just to show you that you can't keep the law and you need what? Grace. Okay, now I think that is a biblical principle. I think that part of why God gave the Old Testament law to Israel not whole, not totally, not in some, but partially, is to show them that they need something more than a law, a law code. They need God Himself to empower them. This is why Jesus had to come and why God the Father and God the Son sent the Spirit to us to empower us. And so as we go through this, we're going to look at this passage and be like, every week we're going to check the box that says, I suck. Okay? Like, every week we're going to look at this and be like, I am not good at that. I am, yep, I failed at that. Yep, I'm not there either. And so we are going to do that. And, and it should draw our attention away from ourselves and to rely on Jesus. But as true as that is, I think Jesus gave this passage more than just for that. Uh, you want to, this is, we don't have time for a lot of stories today, but I'm going to tell you a story. <clears throat> if you don't know me, I pretend, I used to be, used to be, a theological snob, okay? And if you know me, you're like, yes, we know that all about you. That's perfect. We know, okay? And uh, 
I remember looking at Matthew 6.33 in college in early days of seminary that says, seek first the kingdom of God. You heard this passage before? And I can remember telling my parents, they probably don't remember this, or my friends, and I think I even wrote a paper on it. I did write a paper on it. That that passage does not speak to us as the church today. That's crazy. Like, why in the world would Matthew 6.33 seek the kingdom not to be about the church? Here's why. A group of people who I was actually brought up under taught me that in Matthew 1 through 12, Jesus offered the kingdom of God to Israel. Then in chapter 13 and moving into the end of, you know, the end of that section, maybe in chapter 23, you see the rejection, Israel rejecting Jesus, and that's why he goes on the cross. And so the kingdom that Jesus offered, they rejected, and now the kingdom is not coming until Jesus comes back. So Jesus offered a kingdom, they rejected it, so he withhold it, he died on the cross, and the kingdom will come when he comes back. So seek first the kingdom of God was for Israel during that specific time, and we don't have to seek it until he comes back. You understand that? Like, that's what I was taught, and that's what I believed for a long time. And by the way, these are the same people who came up with left behinds, okay? Um, that's, that is true, but it's a joke. Um, but what I'm getting after is like, I used to think that this passage wasn't even for us. Okay, and now this is where I'm at in this passage. That I believe that Jesus has already brought to us the kingdom of God. It is not yet completely here. If you've been at redemption, you've seen the two circles, right? Um, that we show on the screen almost every other week. And we believe the kingdom of God is already here in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And yet it is not fully here. And it will come in completeness when he comes back. And so what Jesus is doing in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is this. Is that he is giving a series of behaviors, a list of ethics, a list of commands that should govern the body of Christ until he returns. What I would say is that this is the ethic of the kingdom. This is what every Christian should pursue. Now, I know this, and you know this, okay? And this is where we have to be very nuanced. How many of you are going to completely keep the Sermon on the Mount? None of you. So, Jesus knows that. He knows it's we are unable on our own to obey all of these commands. Yet, this is what we aspire to. And the problem with us is too many times when we don't live up to that command, we do what? We what? We pull a scared Adam. Yes, if I'm following you correctly. We, we run and we hide and we're shamed. Right? Okay? So it leads to guilt and despair. When what if you think you are keeping all the commands? It leads to pride, right? And so we, in our look at these, all of these commands we're going to look at over the next 20 weeks together, we either live way down here in guilt and shame that we can't do it, or we live way up here that says, man, look at me. I am obeying all of these. Well, most of them, right? And the good news of the kingdom of God is this, is that it brings the low up, and it brings the proud down where we meet together and we say we all need grace. 
And so as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see that this is the ethic, the behavior, the commands that should govern kingdom people, that should govern the church, knowing that it's the good news of Jesus that allows us to actually obey all of these commands. Now, with all of that, we come to Matthew chapter 5, and if you have your Bibles open, we're going to read the first few verses together about uh, the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are a series of blessings that Jesus pronounces upon a certain group of people that we find in the very beginning, and it comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach them, and he said... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecute the prophets who are before you, Jesus says you'll be blessed. So, I have a chart on the screen for you of all of these Beatitudes. They come into three different categories. And if you can read that, I'm just going to deal with the far... Just, we're not doing all of these today, okay? We're just doing the left column, all right? But as we break apart these uh, blessings, the Beatitudes... The Beatitude is just a Latin word that means blessing, okay? So when we come across these blessings, these Beatitudes, they're in three categories. Uh, the first one's kind of go around this idea of depending on God. Blessed are those who depend on God. The, the second set, the middle set, are blessed are those who live for God. And then the final ones are blessed are those who are persecuted. And so, Jesus is offering a series of blessings upon certain individuals, for one, for people who depend upon Him, who live for Him, and are persecuted for Him. And I just want to walk through these first four Beatitudes with you this morning about being dependent upon God. And so the Beatitudes are blessings given to those, given to you and me, to people who by faith pursue God. The first Beatitude says this, Blessed are the poor in spirits, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first thing we need to do is to find the word blessed. Okay? And like if we all take a sheet of paper and write down what you think blessed means, how would you answer that? And I think, hopefully, we'd all have these common answers that come back to this reality that blessing doesn't mean material prosperity, right? Could it mean that? It could, but that's not what Jesus is offering. In fact, as we walk through these first four this morning, we're going to see that the opposite of material prosperity is who are blessed. Blessing also does not mean everything is going to go well in your life. Okay, like I think a blessed life is just to have enough money in the bank account to cover the, the, the brakes and, and the electric 
and you know, the kids' activities, right? Like, that's a blessing to me. That's how I would want to see God blessing. But that's not what Jesus is after. And sometimes we use the word happy. I don't know if you've heard this, but a lot of times people say happy are the poor in spirits. I think when we understand the word blessed, I want to go all the way back to the very first time the word blessed is used in the Scriptures. And that is in Genesis chapter 1. And it says, God blessed Adam and Eve. He made them male and female. And He created them in His image and His likeness. And the idea in Genesis chapter 1 that begins to unfold throughout Scripture is that this idea of blessing is connected to the presence of God. The flourishing of humanity when God is present. When God shows up in your life, His love, His life, and His light begin to dominate your affections, your mind, your will, your emotions. And when God shows up, you are blessed. If there's any being in all of the creation that actually could say He is blessed, it is God Himself. This is why we say bless God. is because He is the one who is the founder, the originator of all blessing. And blessing comes when we experience His presence. And so Jesus is going to say, blessed, happy, are the ones who get to experience God's presence. And who are the ones who get to experience God's presence? Those who are poor in spirits. So there's a lot of talk about what does poor in spirit mean. Okay, I'm going to give you a big picture. We can talk in the corner if you want to argue with me later. But the big, the big picture is simply this, is that poor in spirit doesn't always mean you are materially and financially poor. But it often goes with that. Because those who are actually poor actually walk through life oftentimes with their, maybe not visibly, but they walk with their head down, don't they? This is how poor people walk. When you, have, when you know you're the stuff, when you're the BMOC, the big man on campus, how do you walk around your building at your work? When you just got yelled at by the boss, how do you walk around? See, the idea that Jesus is getting after here is that blessed are the ones who are, and we're going to just use this word, humble. Blessed are the ones who recognize their need. These are often, as I mentioned, people who are economically impoverished, who are forced to rely entirely on God. See, when you come to the end of your rope, and you're poor, and you're downcast, and you are broken, what's your only option? Who's your only option? You've tried yourself, you've tried everything else, you've tried all of the things that America tells you to try, and you're still broken. Why? Because you haven't come to the end of your rope and depended on God. Having the humility to say, God, you are all I have and all I need. James, the brother of Jesus, <clears throat> on the next slide, picks up on this in his, in his book. He says this, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their what? High position. Like, uh, sorry, maybe the next one. I'm... Skipping a lot of my sermon for the sake of time and happiness amongst you, okay? 
But James chapter 1, I think I have it on the slide, it says that believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. How can James say people who live humbly and don't have many means should take pride in their high position? Why? Because as Jesus says, blessed are the ones who really depend upon Him, who are humble to go to Him, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, when you rely upon Jesus in Him alone, that is demonstration that the rule and the reign of God and the future consummation, the future completion, the kingdom of God is now yours. Jesus says, I share everything that I have with you. I'm sharing my kingdom with you. So the poor in spirit are the people of the kingdom. They identify what the kingdom is like. If you are part of Jesus' kingdom, it is going to be a lifestyle of a continual dependence and reliance upon Him. So let me ask you a question. What areas do you pray for? In your own personal life, what areas do you pray for? Okay, and this is not a bad thing, so don't hear it that way. But when you get in a group of people and you do prayer requests and you pray, what is the dominating type of prayer request? Temporal. Say again? Temporal. Temporal? Yeah. And most of the time about physical things, right? Like, I don't mean this in a bad way. Like, we're going to talk about this. My wife died of cancer five years ago today. Like, it, that's, that's there. It's like, that's part of life. You can't get away from it, per se. And so you want to pray for those things. But, and we always say you should pray for more than the physical, right? <laughs> but why don't we often, why, let's, let's keep it short and ask just this one question. Why do we pray for those things? What do you say? Most real and present, yeah. Most real, most present. If I said to you, I'm struggling with my finances... And I don't bring that to you. You know why? Because I think I can figure out how to do it. Right? I'm struggling with my kids and how to be a good parent to them. And I don't bring that to you. You know why? Because I think I can figure out how to do better. But you know what I can't do? I can't figure out how to cure brain cancer. Does that make sense? Why do we pray for physical things? It's because you've actually come to a place in your life where you can't actually do anything about it, and so then you go to who? God. And the people of the kingdom come to every arena of their life at the end of the rope and say, I can't be a good parent. I need help. I can't take care of my finances. I need help. So the kingdom of God belongs to people who will humbly depend and reply, rely upon God for everything. Number two, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This idea of mourning is to feel or show deep sorrow or regrets. Here in this context, it's the idea of someone who has been brought low because of life's circumstances, whether it be monetarily, they don't have what they need, or they are mourning their present circumstances in life, they're mourning the trials, the tribulations, all the things that have come into their life. 
And they don't just mourn the external things that have happened to them, like the trials, the tribulations, all the circumstances that are outside of their life that impact their life, but they also mourn about the internal things, the, the internal rebellion of their own hearts. They mourn. They feel deep sorrow. They feel deep regrets. And just quickly, I don't think we in present Christianity do a really good job of mourning. You read the book of Psalms, and that we call that the, the songbook of the Old Testament, the songbook of the Bible that, that depicts the life of everyday Israelite people, right? And you know what the number one type of psalm is in the Bible, in the book of Psalms? Laments. Which means the people of God, predominantly, when they sang songs, sang songs of what? Laments. Complaining. Mourning. And yet, present-day Christianity has lost its ability to lament. Why? Why don't we want to mourn? Here's why. Because mourning hurts. Mourning brings pain to our life. It's easier to be wicked busy and do all the things that you're supposed to be doing rather than just mourn and to weep. So, look at our music, Christian music. Look at our Christian books. Look at our churches. Everything has to be bigger. Everything has to be better. Everything has to be more energetic. And dare I say it, better be positive and encouraging. And this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to comfort all who will mourn. It's interesting. We don't want to go mourn because it's so painful that we'd rather do all these other busy things rather than find healing. And Jesus is saying, if you will just mourn, I will come and actually comfort you. God the Father will comfort you. He came to comfort, to provide hope for those as the book of Isaiah tells us, the Spirit of the Lord was laid upon Him to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion. This is from Isaiah 61. To bestow upon the ones who are mourning a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. God sent Jesus to actually comfort you. And people of the kingdom of God will have the ability to mourn. They'll have the ability to look at the world and see all of the chaos and all of the evil and all of the, the, the forces of Satan at work and to mourn it. And they can mourn what is going on in, in their church and they can mourn what is going on in their own lives. We don't have to put on this show that everything is better and happy and great. Because what our hearts want is hope and comfort. And Jesus is saying, people of the kingdom will mourn, they will weep, because He will bring them comforts. And so this morning, well, I didn't sleep much last night, and yeah, I can remember like the, the time, it was like 6.14, when I finally said goodbye to my wife forever, well, until the next life. And I just thought, God, why in the world did I have to speak on mourning 
today. I, how many times did I change the stupid preaching calendar? And yet today is the day that I have to preach on mourning. And I was just like, man, this, I don't want to go, like, I don't want to go through today because it's just so painful. And yet, <laughs> don't get mad, well, yeah, hopefully don't get mad at me. I just remember this morning looking at my tattoo. <laughs> and it was my wife's favorite Bible verse. And I'm going to say it because the first part is this. The Lord God is in your midst. See, blessing is the presence of God being able to sit in your bed crying and have the God of the universe come and just say, it's okay. Even though it's not okay, it's okay. Because blessed are the ones who mourn who can go to the Father with every detail of their life and to be dependent upon Him in everything they do because this is what the kingdom of God looks like. A people who will take stock of the reality of the curse of the world and actually mourn it. And they will cut things out of their lives to stop being so busy so they can have time to mourn. And there will be corporate mourning. There will be times where we come together and weep together. But this is what the kingdom of God looks like. There's so many of these. Um, but I'm going to stop right there. But I'm going to close our time by saying this. Can you see why I started the sermon with the dependence, relying upon God? Those who are poor in spirit come to God for everything they need. Those who mourn recognize they need God to comfort them. And I would just encourage you this morning to take stock of your own hearts and to say, where are the areas that I need Jesus to come and meet me? Because the good news of the kingdom of God is this, is that when you ask God to be with you, to meet you, that is a prayer request He will always answer. Because He is always with you. So church, I encourage you to rejoice in the facts that you have a God who wants to be with you, who is with you, who gave His life to be with you. And in the midst of all of this brokenness, in the midst of all of our pain, run to Him. Cry out to Him. And He will meet you. And He will bless you. Father, thank You for a few minutes to just think through these first two Beatitudes about our dependence, our need for You. And when we acknowledge that need, You promise to be with us, to bless us. And so we thank You for that. Spirit, encourage us and help us as we study more of these Beatitudes just to continue to rely more and more upon You for our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.